This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio. You told me not to date it too much. I, you know, I like to, I, you know, back in the old days, I, I, I did like to date a lot. It's called, uh, you know, going to the, the car dealership and shopping a little bit. But anyway, folks, if you are tuning in right now, you are listening to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism with uh, David here. We are coming at you, and uh, man, time for them uh, resolutions, isn't it? Time for the, you know, I don't really make any resolutions. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, well, Dan, when, when I, he and I do a show on Mondays. And yeah. We were, we were talking about uh, <coughs> resolutions, and my only resolution, and I've already, I kept it today, as a matter of fact, and that's uh, <laughs> uh, that I'm going to continue to lose a little weight and try to get uh, uh, the old ticker of, uh, in, in better pumping shape than it's been. And uh, other than that... Uh, I thought I'd you know, been seeing a little less of you this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming transparent. That's, <laughs> I'm, You're the most transparent administration in history. I, I want to be just a shadow of myself. <laughs> The, a shell of your former self is what a, you're saying. A shadow of my a, a healthy shell. I, uh, I, I, I do the resolutions. They, a lot of people get depressed, though, because they don't stick to them. So I, I'm wanting to say go ahead and make some resolutions that you know you're going to stick to. For example, last year I resolved to not snort bath salts, and I am proud to say resolution accomplished um you know make make attainable goals so yours is have you ever snorted it before no (laughs) but you did okay yeah i mean you you remember when the bath salts and the 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 guy that turned into a zombie eating homeless people yeah i i said okay i'm not going to do that this year and had i done it before no but that's not really the point. I resolved to make sure that I would not do that in 2014, and boom, mission accomplished. Hashtag, I did it. Congratulations. Well, I know. appreciate that. Um, Dave, we got a great show today. We have uh, Louis Hunter from uh, the Center for the America. Um, I have his title wrong a little bit here, but uh, he's going to be talking. I'll get it up here in a second. But he is going to be talking about... Uh, Reforming the Electoral College, which I, uh, okay, it's the Georgia Center Right Coalition. I'm sorry. It was, I knew it was a pretty long, uh, title there, but he's the, uh, the head of the Georgia Center Right Coalition, does a lot of tax reform stuff, and, uh, also is, uh, wrote a really good column about reforming the Electoral College, which some people, some people, I, I'm, still kind of reading about the issue. Some people consider that an antiquated way to elect president. And I had mentioned it to you. Obviously, the Electoral College is something that uh, you learn growing up. It basically gives each state a certain amount of electoral votes. And right now, it's a winner-take-all system. For example, whoever wins the popular vote in Georgia gets all of our electoral votes. uh, And and the same goes for a state like California or New York, which obviously on election night, anybody that watches the presidential returns automatically the as soon as the polls close in states like California and New York they automatically give it to the Democrats just because they have such a heavy advantage so hey, what, do you what have do you any clue of who are elector from just from Georgia I have no clue who they are you know, know. <laughs> I couldn't name no Don Smith I, you know. no they mostly are uh, just extreme party loyalists that uh, I guess they in theory, wouldn't have to cast a vote for whoever won. But these are folks that are just, there's no way they would ever not um, bow to the wishes of the electorate. But no, I, I don't know. I don't even know who the delegates are to the uh, convention. So. Yeah, I, I don't. 
You know, there was a time, sort of like, sort of like unions, or my my feelings towards unions, and uh, you know that there was a time, and and when I was studying history, and you were studying history, and they explained the electoral college, it made some sense, uh-huh. I guess. I'm not sure it made a hell of a lot of sense when they did it to begin with, but now uh, I would, I would. I wish I could say unequivocally we don't need it because there's no corruption in elections. Hello? Who said that? Uh, you know, we have, we have the most sophisticated electronics in the world, and uh, there's corruption in elections. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this was why the Electoral, electoral College was established, was the, the, they foresaw that there could be uh, corruption in the elections, and... and uh, they thought this would do it. I don't think it's done it. I don't think... Uh, I'm not for the Electoral College, but I'm not for uh, uh, populist vote. I, I don't know what I'm for. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I could say I'm for this because I know it's not corrupt and everything. You know, the right. public vote's going to be good and everybody will show their ID mm-hmm. and nobody <laughs> will be from Mexico and, you know. <laughs> yeah. We won't have you know, Jose, Jose B, and Jose C voting. Yeah, and the, and the dead <laughs> will not be able to cast ballots. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't have an answer. Do you? Uh, you know, uh, that's uh, why when I read uh, Louie's piece, which was on uh, Insider Advantage, uh, which is a popular uh, Georgia publication, Reddit had some very compelling arguments against reforming it. He doesn't want to just throw the whole thing out, not the baby with the bathwater. I think that there, his um, his ideas were actually really good because you don't the the points you raised about the uh, I can just imagine if we just had a popular vote here the massive voter fraud that would go on I mean literally the the dead would be voting the the little kids would be voting our our guest last week CJ would probably be registered yeah. four times from the, on the Democrat side so I and also the um, you know you look at some of the margins of victory that happen in especially the urban population centers where the Democrats obviously. You know they they've put their 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 welfare policies in place for fifty plus years now, and they've built a, a system of dependency on government. And I can imagine the the voting drive that would happen if they uh, if they thought, oh, all we got to do is turn out California and New York, and uh, this thing's ours. So you look at it, in, in, or even Florida, for for example, they have a lot of potential um, Democrat voters who speak Spanish as a first language, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't have the answers either. I think that um, it's interesting to look at um, giving percentages, right? So if California has 54 votes, the Democrat gets six, wins 60% to 40%, then the Democrat would get 60% of the vote and Republican would get 40%. That way it would give an incentive for the president – and the candidate and the parties to actually compete in those states. Like last uh, cycle here in Georgia, I didn't, Mitt Romney ran a couple of ads um, in the primary, but once the uh, once the general election hit, we didn't see Romney or Obama. Now, I don't mind not seeing any Obama ads, but the, the fact is they pretty much ignored Georgia 
They didn't even bother really campaigning here except for a few fundraisers. Mitt Romney and I think Obama flew in and, and stopped traffic a couple of times. <laughs> it's just a pompous. Uh, anyway, we'll, we, we'll get over to uh, El Presidente in una minuto. But he, he, especially since he delayed somebody's wedding, some people in the military oh, yeah. the other day. But uh, I digress on that. The uh, You know, they don't really come to Georgia. Uh, same for the state of Texas, which... Texas may be changing a little bit. Uh, Florida obviously gets a ton deluged with that. It's Ohio, Iowa, the uh, Nevada, Arizona, some of the battleground states, which really do determine the course of the election. So I think that it would certainly open up uh, the presidential election to a broader swath. I mean, that's really the only elected position that's not elected by popular vote. Now, we say this at the same time we say this, then we would also be saying, President Al Gore. Yeah. So we have to look and see, okay, is this something that, that uh, I don't, we wouldn't want to push something through that just benefits Republicans. We would want to make sure it benefits the, the, the country as a whole. And uh, that's why we need rational minded people looking at, at, at a solution, not ending it completely, but looking and saying, okay, how can we you know, get a broader swath of the electorate a- a- engaged in these elections? You know, I don't, obviously I'll listen uh, when, when your gentleman's, your guest is on, but I, I'd say if there was one thing that I would really support wholeheartedly, and I don't think any Republican's going to bring it up, and then certainly the pen would veto it, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I, if there is something that I would like to see, I wish someone had the uh, intestinal fortitude, be it man or woman representative. Or testicular fortitude. That would uh, bring up term limits. Okay. And uh, I think the country is about ready for it. I think that the ones that count would be there pushing for it uh, if someone would bring it up. And, but I don't. I well, don't uh, David Perdue, our our Senate elect, will be the uh, the next senator from from Georgia, campaigned on term limits. So perhaps he can show leadership. Now he's right now ranked number ninety six out of a hundred as far as uh, <laughs> as far as power in the Senate. I mean that's that. Go- I mean hell, he's ranked ahead of three. Uh, I guess four, four others, people. right? <laughs> so you know he's <laughs> bottom five uh, percent. But at any rate, he. You know he's not he's not dead last, and I do think that his um, prowess will be enhanced. He's on a couple of good committees, and he is one of the few business people that really doesn't have a whole lot of political experience, which I think is actually a good thing. And I have hopes that uh, he's going to get in, and and if he can advocate for term limits and get folks to to listen, uh, I I have a hard time thinking that the the U.S. Senate. With some of these people been in there for twenty to thirty years, some of those guys they they don't know how to do anything else, so well, they're going out. to be fighting again. I, I almost think we would need a convention of the states um, in order to, to to put term limits in. We would need um, what is it three fifths of the states to uh, have a, a convention and ratify it, something like yeah, that. I'm not to change the constitution. Yeah, I don't claim to be a constitutional scholar like Obama, so I. I <laughs> You're not a professor of law without no. a degree? Oh. <laughs> you know, but I have a phone and a pen. And you stayed at which Holiday Inn? <laughs> or was that Motel 6? You know, I have the I have a, a 
what is it, a champagne taste but a beer wallet? Beer is that what they say? Book. Champagne yeah. appetite and a beer pocketbook. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I, I carry a wallet, not a, a, a pocketbook. But, uh, David, your president decided that his golf game was more important than a couple military folks getting married. Now, this is, this is a, a story that I like to just point out. The, the, the arrogance and the pompous attitude of this guy. He, he, he apparently, uh, no wonder his approval ratings like sub 15% from our, uh, people in the military, but he had to play his golf game. Had this wedding, I'm sure, had been planned for, for months. I mean, I, I got married and I know how long it took my wife to plan ours, so I can imagine this took a while. Now, guess who made it all better in the end with a personal phone call, which just happened to be recorded so the press could hear all the adulation from the folks. And, the, and they, I, I read the, uh, the sound bites from them, and they seemed to be happy that they got a personal apology from the president in a phone call, and that made everything better. But when you look at it, I mean, doesn't that just piss you off to think that his golf game is more important than somebody's nuptials? Well... I can go a step further than that in that, you know, the, the guy is so narcissistic. The money that we as taxpayers are spending, um, you know, I have someone close that's, that's there, and we've discussed the fact that he, he, when he is there, it's very disruptive from one end of the island to the other. And, um, you know, that's... You know, the world stops for his damn motorcades. <laughs> and uh, Hawaii is not really built greatly or not. It's not really there, there, built. There's a finite amount of space is yeah. what you're trying to say. It's, and, a, it's uh, an island. That's why Dog the Bounty Hunter is successful. There. You know, and, and he's a real pain in the ass when he's there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there many of the people are hoping that uh, he will find another place for his mausoleum or museum, one or the other. Uh, anyway, we got to stop and take a break. We'll be yeah. back on Greg's List right after this. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
And welcome back to Greg Just Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's AmericasWebRadio.com. We are joined now by our friend uh, Louis Hunter, who just penned a, an excellent article about the, the future of the Electoral College, which is the way we elect our president here in the United States. Louis is uh, the head of the Georgia Center-Right Coalition, does some work for uh, government affairs, and um, is also... Uh, working on some tax reform issues. Louie, welcome to Greg's List. Thanks for calling in today. Greg, I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks uh, thanks a lot, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. We were talking a little bit about resolutions, and it looks like one of your main resolutions is working uh, with the, the national uh, legislatures or state legislatures and uh, other people in the country to reform, not in the Electoral College, but to reform it. So tell us a little bit about uh, your, your reform ideas. Well... The, uh, the movement is called the National Popular Vote, and it's basically uh, it's based on the premise that uh, every vote should count. Um, that's, that's the most basic of American um, uh, principles in, in my mind and a lot of other people's minds. And um, right now, the way the Electoral College is set up, it's uh, weighted heavily in, in favor of a very few states that end up being uh, what everybody understands to be swing states, and um, you know there's a there is a, uh, a complete lack of, of campaigning by most presidential candidates in all but just a handful of states. And in 2012, uh, it boiled down to about nine states that really mattered. You know, Florida, Ohio. I mean, we all know the names and. Um, we think it's time for a change, and we're asking uh, the state legislatures to uh, to take a look at the way they operate at this point, and to reform the electoral college. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of folks look at the electoral college as a somewhat antiquated way. In your article, you mentioned that we vote for even positions like dog catcher, as far as the popular vote goes. And obviously, one of the, uh, I think it's the seventeenth or eighteenth amendment, made the uh, U.S. senators uh, elected by popular vote, and that's actually one that comes up every now and then for discussion. But uh, I think most people would 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 agree that you know if fifty. If fifty-one percent of people vote for something, then that should probably go into place, right? Uh, which, as I mentioned to David earlier, that would mean we would have President Al Gore back in the year two thousand. So it's a little bit of uh, be careful what you wish for. But the points that you make, which I I, th- I would preface it a little bit, to get away from the winner-take-all system, would really benefit um, you know p- both Democrats and Republicans. Democrats would be able to go to a state like Kansas where they I think Romney won 67% of the vote and if they put in a little bit more effort there trying to get uh, the voters more in, in tune with the issues and, and voters out to the polls and educated they wouldn't just lose all of the electoral votes in Kansas they would you know get about a third of them or, or it would convince them to pursue more efforts is that a little bit of what you're looking for is to get away from the winner take all method yeah the, the winner take all method is not uh constitutional it's just been adopted over the years and um, when you sit down and talk to most americans they think that's just the way the constitution states it but but uh article two section one of the constitution is very clear and very precise (laughs) and leaves a lot of it uh, um to the states and and it'll take five seconds to read it it says 
Uh, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress, but no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. Now, that's all it says. And um, the winner-take-all mentality uh, was was never what the Founding Fathers envisioned. Um, it, it has just morphed into that. Um, and, and it's really unfortunate because um, as the elections are held, the presidential election, and you make a great point that uh, in reference to the, the column I wrote, um, you know, we elect everybody. I believe there's, um, and, and I could be wrong on this, but I think there are 514,000 elected officials in the United States at one level or another. And uh, uh, the leader of the free world is the only one we elect uh, by the Electoral College. It was originally set up uh, basically to favor um, uh, white landowners. Uh, it was it was set up to uh, control power and keep power to some degree in the uh, northeast where uh, the, the money was concentrated. And the Pony Express could uh, make a quick run uh, over a day or so or riders um, and get the word out mm -hmm. uh, that's who we're voting for, this is what we're doing, and, and that's just the way it, uh, it became. So it was never intended to be that way. It's not a Democrat or Republican issue. You make a good point that some of these uh, uh, elections could have been swayed if, if this were in place, uh, other than the way that they came out, um, we make reference in the column that uh, at one point um, during the uh, the Bush Kerry race, um, John Kerry could have won with uh, about sixty five thousand more votes, um, based on what it would have meant in the electoral college, with George Bush having three and a half million more votes on the popular side. Right. So it forces it forces candidates to campaign in every state, um, and um, I think that's the, the best thing about um, America, is that we give everybody a chance to vote. Now let's make them all count the same. Right. I guess uh, one of the, the, the questions I would have, though, is every state has different voter ID laws. Now, me and you were blessed to be in Georgia where we actually have some of the stronger voter ID. I mean, all we ask folks is that you go get your free state-issued state identification, which you can get free and show that at the polls. That's that's really not a poll tax. That's not too much. It, to me, if you're too dumb to get an ID, you're, you're probably too dumb to vote. But other states have far more lenient principles. Do you think that it's possible that uh, this could open the door to more voter fraud? No, I don't. Voter fraud is, uh, if, if it's a problem uh, at any point, it's, it, it will continue to be a problem. We, we need to address voter fraud and have a, uh, a system that um, guarantees that those who are here and voting are legal. And uh, a, a picture ID is just a small, small uh, request when you think about what you have to do <laughs> yeah. to uh, rent a hotel room or get an airplane ticket. Uh, but, but we allow one of the greatest privileges on the planet, which is the right to vote for our, our president, uh, to go to just whoever shows up in a lot of states. 
Yeah, the um, the turnout has been pretty high the uh, past couple of election cycles. Um, uh, Obama won by about 10 million popular votes in 2008 and by about 3 million in, uh, maybe, no, it's about 5 million in uh, 2012. Um, well, there is a, a common uh, myth right now is that uh, more people stayed home, that more people voted for McCain. Actually, Mitt Romney did get more popular votes than John McCain did. I, I like to mention that over and over again because I see so many people post that, oh, all the Republicans stayed home because they didn't like Romney because he was a Mormon. No, the fact is Romney got more net popular votes than McCain did and Obama's total dropped significantly, but uh, Obama ended up winning all of the battleground states except for North Carolina during this past cycle, which is why the uh, the Electoral College looked like such a, uh, a, a butt kicking, but um, it was a legitimate 5 million popular vote. Only a few times has the um, I, 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 you know, obviously we mentioned Bush and Gore, and I think there had been one other time in history that uh, somebody got more popular votes and did not win the presidency. I can't remember who that was, but currently right now, Maine and Nebraska, actually, they are the only two states that don't uh, adhere to the uh, Electoral College. They don't have the winner-take-all. So those two states are already, already in your win column, so to speak, right? Yeah, there's a total right now of um, uh, 61, I believe, electoral votes um, representing states that have signed on to this uh, to this movement. This is actually an interstate compact. Right. Um, it's just like the interstate compact that uh, that states sign uh, for, like the Powerball lottery. It's it doesn't have to have congressional approval. They just have to approve the fact that a compact is being signed, not necessarily what the compact is for. But the same the same uh, compact that that makes sure that the the Powerball winner gets their money from each state that participates <laughs> is exactly the, the type of compact that that uh, the lot the lotto compact. I like that. That's uh, <laughs> hey hey well, you know. <laughs> There's no bigger lottery than uh, than the the uh, most powerful job in the world, which is the presidency of the United States. And and uh, the less lotto we can take out of that, uh, the better. So this compact would work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it would deliver the uh, the votes to the uh, candidate with the most uh, popular votes. Uh, it would deliver them, you know, in block. Um, so it's it. It gives everybody a chance to be heard. You know, if you're right. on the West Coast and you're headed home from work at 5 o'clock and you turn the radio on, you're sitting on uh, the 405 in L.A., and they <laughs> say, well, um, you know, Fox News and CNN and everybody else have called the race already for uh, whatever candidate, and you have to decide, do you want to sit in traffic and go vote, um, or do you want to just go home and have dinner with the kids? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this would this would help with that this would engage voters at a level where they would uh they would feel obligated and and feel heard uh, to go and vote so um and I, the more the merrier as far as voters well and and i you know i gotta say being in georgia this past cycle where the democrats you know actually did put a uh, they put forth a good effort whether or not their tactics were were good especially with the ferguson mailer which actually i think really cost them a lot of votes we did get to see um you know two lines of thought uh, especially in the senate race with a michelle nunn versus a, a david purdue both of them had been somewhat newcomers and we got to see a, a competitive at least as far as money spent uh 
uh, election. And then we got to see, fortunately, the Republicans got out their vote a lot better and uh, and ended up winning. But you got to at least look at what some of the Democrat concerns are. And they got to obviously get juxtapose those against Republicans. And I think that builds a better America. Yeah, there's no question that uh, that that when we when we have folks that campaign in all 50 states, um, you know, America is better represented when the when the final tally comes in. Right now, 70 percent of Americans, when polled, uh, support reforming the electoral college. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand that it's it's an old, broken system. Um, and and I want to stress again that we are not trying to do away with the electoral college. Um, we love the Constitution and think that it is a uh, uh, the greatest document ever written, so it, it doesn't need much tinkering. But uh, when folks like Newt Gingrich and Fred Thompson and seventy percent of the of, uh, of Americans say let's let's fix this thing because it is broken, um, to me that says it's it's on the right path and we need to do it. Yeah, I think well, the, the people of the future, the kids of the future. Uh, in order to stay engaged and not lose faith in the process, need to see something like this happen. Yeah, and I and I really think it, it's something that can have bipartisan support because the Democrats basically give away the Deep South on Election Day, and we kiss away uh, New York and California, which is like eighty something elect, maybe ninety, uh, yeah, ninety something electoral votes. So I mean, it's uh, to me when the Republicans can't really campaign in California, New York, we end up losing a lot. Louie, I really appreciate you calling in. Very compelling piece. You can find it on Inside. Advantage.com. We look forward to uh, talking to you more next year. Absolutely, Greg. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right. Thank you. And we'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List with Todd Ream from GeorgiaPundit.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuffs Food Link. This is Dr. George from Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps, a chronic sinus infection, or allergies that are either undertreated or have never been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we use state-of-the-art equipment so you can see the problem. You'll be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment because we believe in old-fashioned medicine where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. We specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery, correction of a nasal septal deviation, and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office, getting you back to work the next day. And you can rest assured that all options will be discussed before surgery is recommended because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. If you'd like to make an appointment, call 404-591-9100 or reach us on the web at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. 
Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home for serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. I did a little research while we were uh, on the break. And actually, the uh, it's happened four times that a president has won without winning the popular vote. Obviously, most recently with George W. Bush back in 2000. Also in 1888, Benjamin Harrison beat uh, Grover Cleveland. Rutherford B. Hayes in 1876. And back in 1824... John Quincy Adams. So a little bit of history for you. Wanted to uh, take the time to welcome our friend, the editor of GeorgiaPundit.com, Todd Ream, back to Greg's List. Todd's a bit of a history buff himself. Todd, did you know all those uh, occasions when the uh, the president had won without the popular vote? Uh, I did not know. I did not know that at all. Yeah, I knew it had happened at least once, and I was uh, rolling the dice. Well, no, more than once, and I was rolling the dice on that because I, I was about 90% sure, and it actually happened four times, so I had a lot of room to spare. <laughs> but uh, anyway, welcome back to the show. I've uh, got, obviously, uh, I guess this is kind of an early start for uh, for Georgia legislative season. I mean, li- literally in less than two weeks, we'll already be on day two of the, of the session, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is... It's about average. Sometimes it's the it's that kind of second week. Sometimes it's the third week. Uh, it just seems like everything is a little bit uh, earlier this year. Partly because I think the um, the biennial got a lot more attention than it than you would normally expect it to, um, and and a lot of that was because of the discussions of the transportation uh, funding issues. Gotcha. Okay. Now, when you say biennial, that means their session that I think was in Athens this year? Yeah, it's in Athens every year, okay. uh, every two years. And what it is, is it's sort of on-the-job training for new members of the legislature. Um, they'll hear from folks at the Carl Vinson Institute, from some of their fellow legislators, some outside experts. Uh, and it's also an opportunity for the returning members to get back together kind of mull through what they might want to be seeing in, in, ahead of the session mm-hmm. um, and talk through some of the some of the issues. Right. And, uh, you know, every session comes with surprises. Uh, this year, obviously, the transportation issue has been heavily telegraphed. We, um, I think most of the legislators that I've talked to or have read admit that this is not something that can be revenue neutral. They are certainly traipsing the... Uh, the, the, the ice, so to speak, as to how best to raise revenue. Uh, is that kind of what you're gleaning as well, Todd? Yeah, if, if you intend for something to be revenue neutral, really all you have to do is shuffle things around in the budget. If, <laughs> if you're going to fund uh, transportation with more of the existing dollars, that means you have to cut something else. Um, and so if you wanted to, if you were committed to doing it in a carbon neutral fashion, uh, not carbon neutral, in, in a revenue neutral fashion, I don't know that, that you'd even be talking about enhanced uh, fees or taxes or whatever. Um, it, it is precisely because you need more money. And the question really is, what will it take to make a hike in transportation dedicated revenues palatable to a lot of the members of the Republican caucus specifically who got elected 
uh, at least largely on the on the basis of promising to oppose tax increases. Yeah. It, it's what? How much do we have to do to get this passed by enough members? Well, and that's the thing is, A, do you buy the argument that we do need more revenue, and B, uh, what is the best or most palatable way to get it? So we'll, we'll, I'll ask you that one first. A, do you buy, because some people don't. Some people say, no, we're, we're fine. They just need to cut spending in other places. Do you, What do you think? Do you think that, that we do need to raise more revenue for infrastructure? <clears throat> I, I think it's clear that more money is needed. <clears throat> Uh, partly that's because of our historic uh, reliance on federal funds and the fact that there's going to be less of that coming our way. Uh, but in many ways, what we've done is we've deferred maintenance uh, through the worst of the recession. And it's like with your house. You can defer maintenance for a little while, but eventually it catches up with you. And if you let it go for too long, it gets more exp- it gets even more expensive than what you initially were avoiding. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in that position where we have deferred some maintenance, we have deferred dealing with the funding issues, and it's kind of all catching up to us at one time. Um, so I do believe there's there's a need for more money, uh, just the, if for no other reason than to pay to maintain what we've already built, rather than let it continue to rot away. Um, and, and the problem, of course, is always how do you get enough people... When you look at the politics of the General Assembly, there were maybe three or four competitive seats mm-hmm. in the State House, maybe two in the Senate mm-hmm. that were competitive between the parties. So the vast majority of your House members, the vast majority of your state senators were elected in a party primary for all intents and purposes. And so when they think about the voters <laughs> they have to answer to, they're thinking about the hardcore Republicans or the hardcore Democrats. Right. And that's what makes it a difficult uh, situation that usually the people who are anti-taxation, anti-something, are the loudest voices. They may only be three or five or ten percent of the electorate, but they're a loud percentage and they're also heavily concentrated in primaries, specifically in Republican primaries. Right. And so when you talk about Tea Party folks, Tea Party folks, we can argue over what percentage of the uh, of the state identifies with the Tea Party. It's hard to argue that the Tea Party voters are primarily going to come out in Republican primaries. And so if that group starts working against uh, revenue enhancements, tax increases, it becomes much more difficult for people whose only effective election is in the Republican primary to go against them. Well, and, you know, I've really liked seeing the um, the uh, legislators tiptoe around it by saying, well, we need more revenue. It's just how are we going to get there? All options are on the table. They're they're floating out a lot of trial balloons. Um, Obviously, the low-hanging fruit is shifting that fourth penny for uh, the gas tax to pure transportation. I think that raises about $200 million. That leaves us, the legislators are basically saying we need to come up with a billion dollars, maybe a little bit more per year, to uh, fund our infrastructure needs, which I, I, I would suggest call Jason Carter. He said he could find a billion dollars a year to fund education, so maybe we should start with him. <laughs> I'd say this. We could even offer him 1% of whatever savings, and we'd still end up ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he 
gets a commission, 1% origination fee for Mr. Carter to, to, to point out that $1 billion that he mentioned so often uh, during the go- uh, failed gubernatorial campaign. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's 1% of pixie dust, I think, ultimately. We all know that. Um, but it, 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 is a, it is a tough nut, and uh, it's, it, it's not just that $1 billion number. It's that mm-hmm. $1 billion per yeah. year. I mean, it has to be an ongoing. So let me, let me throw out a couple of my ideas. Uh, end the electric vehicle tax credit. What do you say to that? I don't have a problem with that. I, okay. I think that in, in some cases... Uh, you know, if, if we talk about a $250 or $150, whatever kind of a yearly fee for electrical vehicles, mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. But if we're talking about some yearly fee, why are we giving them 5000 up front? I, I don't think that's necessary anymore. I think Tesla has proven that an excellent world-class electric vehicle can and will sell. Um, but I don't think we need to be subsidizing Nissan uh, to, to the tune of $5,000 per leaf per year, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. I, I, I think the demand is there. We don't need to spur that. I don't, I don't understand the ongoing need uh, for that tax credit. I, I'd agree with that. Okay. Uh, okay, and and that's and you uh, you also dovetailed a little bit into charging the uh, owners of electric vehicles uh, the aforementioned Tesla, which again Tesla has got uh, um, problems as far as uh, some cronies with the Georgia Automobile Dealer Association, where they can't sell more than 150 cars direct to consumers. So I don't think putting a fee for a three three hundred dollars on the annual Tesla that's not going to raise a whole lot of revenue. But what will save a lot of money is eliminating the uh, funding of the the research and development department at for-profit companies like Nissan by giving people $5,000 and uh, letting them basically lease a leaf for free, and then they're not even paying uh, the gas tax for the roads. So, okay, so we covered that. Thank you for adding that part about the uh, fee-free of the electric cars. Maybe uh, I, I, I'm still trying to get some numbers on that. It, I, I wouldn't guess that that's, that's probably just a couple million dollars right there. So we're still... Eight hundred million. It's relatively small, but but it is a. If we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, fees for electrical cars, let's not be giving them money with one hand, taking it away with the other. Figure out one way of doing it and and eliminate the the two step process at the very mm-hmm. least. Right. Okay. So that so that we're still eight hundred million short per year. Okay. So let's let's double the gas tax from four cents a gallon to eight cents a gallon. What do you think about that? It's a user tax. It's a consumption tax. It's fair. We're going to be getting all the travelers and people driving through. I'm doing a little devil's advocate here. What do you say to that? Well, I think that the, that the number one thing that helps <clears throat> that argument is the fact that gas is in the two dollar range. If gas were closer to $4, people would be screaming a lot more about it, a few more cents. Um, but if gas stays in the $2 range, maybe even dips below in metro Atlanta, I think that that adding some gas tax um, does help. There, there, are, there is a, an unnecessary complexity to the gas tax today. Um, there are local sales taxes, county sales taxes, all kinds of taxes, um, and we need to really think about streamlining that amalgamation to make it a- as flat, as fair as possible across the state. Um, but one thing I think is that local governments have learned they can tweak the gasoline sales tax without getting blamed for it. <laughs> um, 
and so that's that's one area where an existing tax is being collected that doesn't necessarily go to roads not just that fourth penny but some of the local funds go into their general uh general funds Gotcha. All right. Well, let's uh, take our uh, uh, 245-ish break right here. I got a couple other ones I'm going to throw at you to see what what you combat with. Um, Dave, do you want to go ahead and do the uh, commercial break right now? All right. See you in a couple minutes on Gregsist. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF. A nonprofit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Greg's Us Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Web Radio.com. Joining us uh, right now, finishing up uh, the segment, is Todd Ream, the editor of GeorgiaPundit.com, which greets thousands upon thousands of Georgians every morning with a bunch of adoptable dogs and a bunch of pertinent legislative and political information. Todd, I did want to congratulate you. I don't think I've done it yet for uh, for the the uh, cab commissioner win, um, Nancy Jester's consultant. That was a uh, job well done, very com- competitive battle there. So good job with that. Thank you very much. And I think that those of us like you and I who live in DeKalb County are going to be happy. We're going to be happy with that representation. Yeah, I, I wasn't exactly shy about uh, wanting the uh, taxpayer champion to be there for the rest of us that uh, pay a lot of the taxes in North DeKalb. Uh, getting back to transportation, let's. Uh, I've been throwing some ideas off Todd, which some of these have been floated by the, uh, um, the assembly and the legislators and the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, here's a, here's another idea. Let's bring back T Sploss, but let's let's get it in all of the districts, and uh, we're going to do it better this time. We're not going to call it economic development. We're just going to do a 1% sales tax that was supposed to raise $18 billion over 10 years. That would be a lot of money for everybody, wouldn't it? Let's bring that back, Todd. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think doing away with the, the regions also might be considered if they're inclined to do that. It's my understanding that 
some of the powers that be under the Capitol are thinking they don't want to go the referendum route, uh, partly because that delays everything until the next statewide election, um, and partly because it gives opponents a chance to really muster their forces. Uh, and, and so I think we're likely to see something that would not have a statewide referendum. In either case, we still do have to consider what do you do with these three regions that did pass it. Mm-hmm. Uh, three regions, the folks said, yeah, we like these projects, we're willing to pay for them. I think we need to let them keep that in place um, for the time being, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've read conflicting reports. Uh, last year, Brand, or last week, Brandon Beach was on State Senator from uh, North Fulton area, and he said that the folks that have the T-Sploss seem very happy. He said the mayor of Columbus was a big fan of it. What I've read, though, is that um, all the regions are about 20% under um, revenue collection, what, what was forecast. So... I guess I'm having trouble kind of, you know, putting that together as far as the people like it or they say they like it, but it's underfunded by 18 to 20 percent. So that's that's kind of what I what I would be looking at. I I was a big um, a detractor. Well, but but, but to, to me, the, to me <clears throat> the bottom line is that the voters approved it and whether it's performing the way folks hoped or not. Uh, the voters approved it. Mm-hmm. You can't just start pulling the rug out from under folks who voted for a 10-year measure. Right. Well, I, and I, I mean, I, I'm sure there'd be all sorts of uh, legality issues for that because that was a pretty ironclad vote back uh, in July a couple years ago. One of my biggest problems with the TSPLOS was the fact that most of the heavy lifting projects didn't begin until year eight. And uh, I just wasn't on board with paying taxes for eight years and then hoping something would be done in the three years because it was supposedly going to have to go back up for vote uh, every 10 years with a sunset provision. But um, I I think we've seen in Georgia that if you tell voters what projects are going to be uh, produced, that voters will admit that they need to raise more revenue and they're willing to pay for it. I personally voted yes for the East Blast in DeKalb County, which was uh, it said it would raise about six hundred and fifty million dollars over the next 10 years or whatever it is, it was something that we had already been paying, and I wanted to pay that again because the way education gets funded, they'll either, they'll either jack, yes, I know I'm a rhino, they'll either jack up your property taxes, they're going to get it one way or the other, and I'd much rather have uh, everybody be pitching into the system rather than just me that uh, owns property in DeKalb. So, when, what, when you say that about, about people willing to, pit, to invest in specific projects, there's two things important, I think. One is that we're talking about the county... <laughs> Uh, process typically where they have a list of, of uh, specific projects that will be done. Right. And that becomes much harder when you're talking about regional or statewide spending. People in Gwinnett County might feel like they don't want their money uh, being spent in DeKalb or in Fulton or in Cherokee County, um, which is inevitable when you talk about regional solutions and prioritizing projects. If we were just going to spend the money in the county it's raised in, we don't need a regional or, or a statewide uh, mechanism. Right. The second thing is that a lot of times that goes back to trust, and people have a greater trust level, I think, typically with their local elected officials than with state government mm-hmm. because they have more accountability. They can tell if you live in DeKalb County anytime in the past 10 years, 
you can pretty much tell where SPLOS money is being spent because the county commissioners always put up signs <laughs> to say, your SPLOS dollars at work, <laughs> and usually they put their names there so they can get credit for it as well. And, and that becomes more problematic when you're talking about centralized planning or, uh, or, or regional planning mm-hmm. where the money will be spent in many cases where in areas other than where it's raised. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing with with Atlanta is we have such a massive population and so many people live out in the burbs. I personally um, am a a fan of uh, mass transit. I like to use MARTA when I can. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, my home county of Cobb refuses to uh, even think about it. Uh, Gwinnett um, still has a battle against MARTA. I think Gwinnett is far more likely to accept MARTA heavy rail in the future. Uh, Clayton County just voted to approve it. Uh, I, I do think that the way to solve traffic problems is to get cars off the road. That that's the only way to do it. You can you can only build so many roads. I think building more roads also comes uh, it gets into some eminent domain and private property issues, which I'm not a fan of. But using existing rail track and extending um, a more to heavy rail up through Cobb, at least to like Kennesaw, Cumberland, and uh, North Cobb, that would take cars off the road for people that are going to, especially to the airport or to uh, you know if they work downtown, and to give them viable options. I, I think that's something that we certainly have to look at, and that would get Cobb and Gwinnett part of the uh, the MARTA program. I'm sure. Two, two problems with that. <laughs> One is that heavy rail, light rail is so incredibly expensive that you get into that problem you were talking about where, where money is, you don't see it visibly being spent for the first eight years of a project. Mm-hmm. You have to have a billion dollars to, to build a, we were talking about, if I recall correctly, it was about a billion to run rail out to Cumberland. Mm-hmm. That's not even really in well into Cotton. This is to Cumberland. Yeah. Or hundreds of millions in any case. And if you go beyond the existing footprint of MARTA, uh, you're still talking about eminent domain and private property rights because every foot of track that's not owned by MARTA in the state of Georgia is owned or leased by a private company. Right. And you have to be taking something from them. And they're not going to give it up without a fight. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, it's um, it's it's the challenge of you can only build so many roads. And Georgians, we love our cars. And we're, we're, we've ended up, I think, developing a lot of edge cities. And I, th- I see a big revitalization of a lot of the downtowns. If you look at Duluth, if you look at... Uh, uh, Alpharetta with the uh, Avalon de- or Milton, I guess, with the Avalon development. A lot of these um, edge cities are are building kind of work and mixed use environments, so people don't have to get on the roads and travel. Yeah, and those are great when you move in and you have one job, and they become more problematic when eight years down the road you have another job. Um, and, and you know, it's not not everybody has the flexibility to live, work, and play in the same area. Um, but yeah, I, I do like I do like some of these livable communities. I opposed the idea of Town Brookhaven when it was being built, mm-hmm. um, and now I can say that it's really added a lot to our community. And you see a lot of projects like that if you look at Swanee right. as well, um, where you have a single developer come in and, and build sort of a livable play. The problem is for those folks who, who need to get beyond that, who have a job in midtown or downtown or wherever, and 
and half of most couples, you know, if you have a couple where one's an entrepreneur and can work wherever he wants because he owns the company and he can put it in this building or that building and, and can choose to live and work in the same community, a lot of times there's a spouse or another member of the mm-hmm. family who still has yep. to get on the roads and, and we're still going to have uh, this car-centric uh, city we've built. Right. All right, crystal ball predictions. Will the legislature vote for a tax increase for transportation this next session? Yes or no? I, I, I suspect they okay. I suspect they will vote for some form of revenue enhancement. All right, and let's see. Will Governor Deal and the legislature expand Medicaid this next session? I don't know. I, I know that's becoming increasingly problematic. Um, and, and this really goes this goes to not just transportation and Medicaid, but a, a far larger phenomenon where every part of state and local government has taken a haircut year in and year out for the past roughly 10 years. And now everybody, every program, every local government, every level of government is saying now it's time to make up on some of those cuts that we had to, to live through. And so, um, you know, a lot of times it is easy to cut revenue to, to cut spending when you, the money's just not coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, the harder part is to figure out how to equitably deal with an upswing in revenue. Even if I, it, it appears that even without raising taxes, raising fees, there's just more taxes be, because there's more transactions being done. Um, and revenue at most levels of government is going to rise in any case, even if they don't have any taxes and fees. And but everybody's been starving for eight years or feel like they've, they've been starving for eight years. And so, yeah, Medicaid, a few hundred million, maybe into billions, transportation, billions of dollars. But there's going to be a dozen other dramatic needs that come out during the session. And will uh, medical cannabis get uh, approved this session? I suspect so. And, and the biggest thing that happened there is that the federal government is going to lay off of uh, enforcement that conflicts with state laws. Right. And the biggest problem with the medical cannabis last year was that there was no mechanism for actually producing it or acquiring it or distributing it. There was no way that parents were actually going to get any of the stuff. Um, so they're more prepared uh, this year. We've got to wrap up in about 30 seconds, but uh, any other prediction, uh, a wild card or anything coming up? No, I think uh, I think it's going to be very predictable this year. The, the big questions are going to be money and money. Money, 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 typical questions. Hopefully we can find some answers. Todd Ream, georgiapundit.com. Thank you for joining us. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you, Greg. Happy and we will see y'all next week on Greg's List, the home of serious journalism. Thanks, as always, for listening. You know what will be next year? I thought we weren't supposed to date ourselves, David. But, yeah, Happy New Year, folks, and uh, stay safe on the roads. We'll see you next year. Make 2015 awesome. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.